Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to the Roarcast in Focus. And today we are going to be talking to accent coach Pamela Vandaway on why singers lose their accent when they sing. This recording was actually part of my research for the video, but Pamela has so much expertise and knowledge on accent and the voice, I had to share the whole chat with you guys. In this episode, Pamela shares some fascinating insights on the psychology of accents, on the development of accents and the development of singing styles, and shares her thoughts on vocal training. If you'd like to watch the video, Why Singers Lose Their Accent When They Sing, the link is in the description, but enjoy the interview. First of all, what are the elements that make up an accent? There are four main elements, but you're going to hear them talked about in different terms. So we can talk about the speech sounds or the phonemes. The phonemes are individual speech actions that contribute to a specific accent of a specific language, any language. Those can be broken down into consonants and vowels. There's also rhythm, which is the relative timing of each of those specific phonemes. Uh, so when you string a bunch of individual speech sounds together, how long you hold each sound is going to cause a rhythm to occur. Same thing, anybody who plays music knows what rhythm is. Intonation or melody would be the relative pitch pattern. So where are the notes falling? It might not be as specific as music, but a relationship of how does this language travel forward. Is it fairly even and monotone or is it going to go up at the end or down at the end? And then this mysterious thing called placement. Singers talk about placement and speakers talk about vocal tract posture. So vocal tract posture is just the overall relationship among the parts of your body that contribute to speech or singing. And how do those generally relate? And it's very difficult to discuss, which is why I think that singers have defaulted to the idea of placement and where is that sound hitting? Uh, the sound's hitting everywhere. It's, uh, it's going through your body, it's coming through everywhere, but when you think to focus it in a certain spot, that might cause your body to make certain actions. Your soft palate might rise very high, your pharyngeal tissues might move away or closer or whatever. So those are the four main parts that contribute to accent is so interesting with placement because I knew that would be the one I was like I'm not sure how what uh, term accent people use and of course vocal coaches always use the placement term the thing is is you know terminology is being created all the time mm, uh, that's yeah. really important to be aware of that because I like to say that talking about talking is difficult <laughs> yes you know, a lot's happening speech and singing they're both complex psychophysical processes so it's not just your body and and I think that you know I've seen I've seen quite a number of your videos and I know that you talk very you speak very technically about what's happening in the body which I do too uh, but that's not the end of communication whether that's spoken or whether that's singing it's not there's that other element which is communication and um, mm -hmm. 
I don't know if you've used the word communication, but I've seen you talk about that in singers. That sort of that, mm, that the, the story really. Yeah, well, I always say that singing is as much storytelling as anything else, because if you lose that, then you've forgotten what singing is about, really. Really, it's really true. You can sing technically beautifully and no one can care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because we only sing and we only speak to get an idea out of our heads and souls and bodies into somebody else's. We're trying to share an experience. And if we've taken it past that into, here's the note that I'm hitting and here's how long I'm holding it and here's how much breath pressure is coming through or air pressure is coming through here, then instead of a communication, we just have a display of physical prowess, which is interesting. Yes. But not the same. Yes. And I suppose that's also why there are so many singers who aren't technically wonderful, but are uh, very, very successful because they're able to communicate so successfully. Yeah. And I think some of those, some of those singers, maybe they haven't been through a traditional training program, so they haven't been subject to the idea of right and wrong when it comes to creating sound. And while it's really interesting to be able to observe ourselves and say, what's the effect on these people when I do this with my body and make these sounds, that's fascinating, but it's, it's limiting to say, this is the right way to do Absolutely. this. Unless we're talking about, about physical danger, you know, um, you know, you don't want to create a sound by whapping yourself in the face with your fist. That's going to be a problem <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you know? Of course. That's the wrong way to go about it if you want longevity. Yes. Um, other than for a safety issue, all sound is good sound. Uh, you know, good sound is sound that gets you what you want. And we look at some of these singing styles that develop over time, you know, because we continually develop different singing styles. It's because we take a style that we know and we push it in a way we don't expect. We give a hook for the audience that they understand, a way they can relate, and we add one thing. We add one thing. I really love the idea of how language changes, and I'm thinking now because of what you do, how singing changes over time. Yes, uh, well, it's constantly changing. And you can even hear like 10 years back the stylistic nuances that have adapted and changed over a very small period of time. It's, it's really amping up because we have the internet and we can seek out novel experiences and we can share novel experiences with people. When we hear something that we haven't heard before, we quickly tell everybody, have you heard this? You know, there's a woman who, um, does throat singing. And I can't think of what her name is. I wish I had written her name down or to remember to tell you, but throat singing happens in several cultures in the, in the world. But this is a woman who's not from any of those cultures, but she's taken those techniques and added them to a sort of a Western culture. And it's fascinating to hear the work. Mm. Is it Ivor, Ivor that you're thinking of? She's Icelandic. Uh, it, it might be. It might be. Yeah, she's using a little bit of like Mongolian uh, Tuvan throw singing, but then also some traditional Icelandic styles as well. And then also like Western styles. So. so she's taking things that, so a Westerner can hear it and have something to hang on to. Because if we hear something we've just never heard before, we have no way of putting it in context. It's actually quite frightening. Our minds don't know what to do. So our minds are there to categorize and predict. It's one of the main things they do. And um, I always think about, categorization and, and prediction of the human mind, um, like putting things away in the kitchen, in, a, in drawers. If you pick up a fork, it goes in the drawer where your forks go. But when you pick up like great, great, great aunts, such and such a thing, and it's like this weird 
what did they use this for? You say, and you're like, I don't know what drawer it goes in. I have no relationship except that it should be in the kitchen somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. That's what happens when we hear something that's too far away from our own experience. But the woman we've been talking about, she has some Western tradition, some Icelandic tradition, some uh, throat singing tradition, and brings them together in a new way so that it makes for a Westerner. I have, I'm a fan of throat singing, but if, you, if I hadn't heard it before, I would still be fascinated. You know, and the result was the world was fascinated because there were three groups of people that had entry points into listening to her work. As we talk about singing or uh, talk about, you know, accents in singing, why do some singers seem to change their accent or purposely change their accent when they sing a song? There's a lot of reasons for it. It's, but it's all got to do at the end of the day with relating to the audience. What's the audience expectation and how are they gonna, how are they, that individual artist, going to be able to sing this song to that audience and have it accepted. Ah, yes. Interesting. And this specifically happens or more often happens to British singers. I think that's a myth. Do you think so? Go oh, on. yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a myth. Um, that is coming from, and we all have it because, you know, American singers will say, oh, why is this person singing like this other person over here? we're listening from a listening bias. We can't avoid bias. Mm -hmm. Bias has to do with our experiences. Um, our life experience leads up to, when I see this, it means that. It has meant that, so it's probably gonna mean that again. And so when we hear um, things like, you know, there's a lot of myths about, about accent. One of them is that mm -hmm. English people are better at them. <laughs> Americans think that English people are better at them, and they're not. If, if I watch English television, I see just as many accent irregularities mm -hmm. as I do in American television um, uh, when Americans are attempting to sound like people from England, but it's easy to have a, just have a mythology, have a myth go forward to say, oh, well, that supports already our idea that the English have, they have a queen, so they're, they're uh, more educated than us, so probably they, these are all these weird little myths that fly around, these, these stereotypes, these things, and sometimes the stereotypes lead us to think that things are happening that aren't really happening. Accent is affected by some singing styles, but the extreme singing styles, so opera. Opera is going to change how a vowel sounds because the soft palate is on the moon and the, and the pharyngeal tissues are away, away, away versus if I were going to start singing from this place right here where I have all my pharyngeal, every, everything has been pushed forward in my, in my pharyngeal tissues and my soft palate is way down. And if I started singing from here, that would be a very different sound than if I started singing from a place where everything is really, really open. And that's going to change the vowels. If my soft palate is open, probably my jaw hinge is also going to drop open. Um, and when once your jaw hinge drops open, that changes how fast things occur. That changes the shape of the ultimate, especially for vowel sounds, it changes those most typically. Vowel sounds are the shaping of voiced air. <laughs> and then consonants are kind of the segmenting or the obstructing of voiced or unvoiced air. And so we do hear accents on the vowels uh, more often than we do on consonants in songs and things. There are uh, notable exceptions, and I don't want to say things in too broad of terms because the truth is, if you hear an accent in a song, it's because someone chose to do it that way. <laughs> Whether or not they did it consciously 
when we first hear a song, I mean, we don't, most people don't decide to sing a cover of a song because they saw the sheet music. They heard the song. You know, a songwriter can write a song so that it actually causes us to make changes in vowel sounds. Like you have to, you have to do something to fill up that space that they made. Mm -hmm. I, I have seen you sing, um, I put a spell on you. Mm -hmm. Your I put a spell on you is different than the original I put a spell on you, but you still had to do something in those because you're mine. Right? Yeah, <laughs> all exactly. time. You can't just be like, because you're mine. You can't just like pick some weird note and just hold it the whole time because there's then you're you've stopped communication. And that song is full of frustration and anger, or the singer is full of frustration and anger and hopeful hopelessness and that's reflected in how long those notes are held and so sometimes the song itself is written so in a way that you have to mess with the sounds in it differently than you would in speech and then there's again back to bias you know audience expectations if you want to sing a cover of something or sing the original of something that no one's ever heard before you have to realize that songs aren't happening in a vacuum. They're happening in society. And society has expectations. We only have the music we have now because Elvis Presley existed. And we only have Elvis Presley because blues musicians existed. Art begets art, songs beget songs. Each artist brings something to the song. The song that was written brings something to the song. And if the song was famous before, whoever made that song famous before brings something to that song. And all three of those things have to find an agreement together. Mm -hmm. um, you'll find that some singers, maybe they don't change their accent because guess what? If they did, their relationship with their audience might shift because accents also don't happen in a vacuum. Um, accents are there as part of our social markers. We use them to gain access to social groups. Some of us speak with only one accent. Some of us speak with several accents because we frequent several social groups and uh, it's not the only social marker we have everything about us is a social marker how we move the words we use the things we talk about what we wear what we drive what we eat all of those things are markers of social groups but accent is one of those ones that we can get denied we can be a part of a social group in other ways but if we shift our accent up and try to join the social group with that accent we can get rejected and actually, while you're saying this, someone that actually popped to mind is Adele being a classic example of someone who has a very, uh, I suppose, a particular accent that a lot of people would notice. And then when she sings, you don't hear it as much. Do you believe that that is down to expectations within the music that she's singing and the style of music? I think almost all of it has to do with that kind of trend. There's a a small portion that has to do with actually the mechanics of what's happening during a song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you sing a Scottish song in your Scottish accent, mm -hmm. there's still going to be some shift at some point likely in the song mm -hmm. that you wouldn't do if you were speaking those same words. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is then what is the expectation or what is the style you're trying to do? You know, the only reason we're all pointing out how the accents are changing is because accents are part of social group markers. We don't point out, wow, that person is singing opera with the back of their mouth really open. Of course they are. That's how it gets to be opera. You know, it's hard to sing a country song 
in a in an Australian accent and have it yeah. accepted by people who sing country songs unless it's a specific Australian artist singing it and there's a specific reason why that song also resonates in an Australian culture. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's complicated. It's not just the music. I was taught in school that, oh, accents disappear when you sing. And it wasn't until I kept studying that I was like, wait a minute, no, 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 they they don't. I listen to music from all over the world and I'm not hearing a, whatever this mysterious neutral accent is, because there isn't one. You know, the word neutral accent just means the accent that is the prestige accent of the moment. Someone has decided that this is the prestige accent, so we're going to call that neutral and everybody else is Mm -hmm. odd. (laughs) You know, everybody else is particular, strange and weird but this is the neutral. No, there is no neutral. It's all about our cultural and personal biases as to how we perceive the sounds that are coming toward our ears, what meaning we make of that. And we are definitely making meaning out of how people speak and how people sing. You know, we're noticing, oh, that person talks like this and sings like that. Uh Uh-huh. And that actor talks like that. And then when in this role, they act like that. And they, they talk like this. We don't fault them for that. Why are we confusing singers and, and, and really pressuring them to justify why they've sung the way they've sung. They're singing to communicate. They're singing to move us. If I play Beethoven's Fifth, I can't play it. But if I play it on a toy piano, it's going to come out very differently than if I play it on a grand piano, unless I want that result of that tinny little lightness of like, oh, that's funny, such a heavy piece of music on such a little tinkly thing. I better default and get the real piano, mm-hmm. you know? If I want to have that same impact that Beethoven's Fifth has on a grand piano, I need to use a grand piano. I can't put it on a toy piano and expect people to be moved in that same way. They're going to be moved in a different way. So some singers do this purposefully. Some singers do it intuitively. There's a portion of people who will be like, well, that's fake. They're singing in a fake way. And I've always been like, well... How can it be fake when it is your body? That's biases and expectations. It's the same thing as when we see one of those um, singing competitions. You know, America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, the world's got talent, whatever these these wonderful shows are. And out comes a tiny little six-year-old girl 
and then she's singing like she's a 55 year old woman who's seen the world we're shocked and surprised and most people are delighted like wow i didn't expect that but that's a bias that we're or a trip through bias that we're more comfortable taking and that goes back to the cultural aspects of accent and our whole vocal quality what is the tribe allowing <laughs> what are they going to allow this person to do or that person to do do you know that singer leon redbone no, no look up leon redbone leon redbone um uh has a really interesting singing style and uh uh it's almost as he's singing it's like but it's really captivating and he got lauded for it but you know there's 110 other people that didn't get lauded for something similar the right person didn't hear it and put it in the right place for the other right people to hear it so that it became popular and everyone else was like oh i guess that's right then we have to look at what, what malcolm gladwell um, who's a business um, writer says about the tipping point there are early adopters of things people who say wow i have never heard that before that is amazing i would like to see more of that and then a few others gather and it's kind of slow but then once enough people gather then everyone's like oh yeah that's right that's how we do it, you know? And uh, one of the singers of the world that succeeded at that was Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is literally world renowned. Uh, enough people were both adopted with what he was doing, uh, or loved what he was doing, and then that they influenced everybody else to believe that, that is, that's good. The Beatles also, you know, that's, that's good. That's good music, we are told. And so we start off with that bias, that that's good music and other music is, is compared to it. You know, I say we, but, you know, looking at like the world culture as a whole, uh, which is crude, not accurate <laughs> generalization. But, you know, we do need to look at generalizations as well as specificities in order to really understand what's happening with communication and, and all of that. But as for sounding fake, if you're looking at somebody else and perceiving them as fake, it could be about the biases, like the young man with the older man's voice. It can also be if that person wasn't communicating clearly. If I change up how I'm going to talk to you right now, but I also add a little space between how I'm thinking and what I'm saying, I may come off as a little more fake because I'm not actually communicating directly to you now. I'm trying to put a stopper in between where I'm thinking a lot about how my mouth is moving. And so even if I'm hitting all the aspects that belong in a specific accent, you may say I'm fake because I'm not communicating anymore. I'm caught in the mechanics. I'm back in the, the place of mechanics instead of the mechanic. You have to have mechanics have to be in order. You have to be able to string those individual sounds together um, you have to coordinate them. And then you've got to uh, you can make sense, right? Uh, you, somebody would be like, oh, I understood what they were trying to say, mm -hmm. and I will think about that. Um, but then there's true communication, where I take my experiences in my head, and I seem to shoot it right into yours. And so you're like, I get it. And that's where we have to be when we're, if we take on a new accent in speaking or singing, if we take on a new accent, we have to be in that place where we are truly communicating through that accent. That accent is an avenue of communication. It is as viable as any second language we speak. It's as viable as any of the other accents that we use in our own life back and forth as we, we can say code switch from group to group. It's got to be there.
And if you feel fake yourself when you try something, it's just because you didn't know you had that facet and you have an understanding of yourself as this and you didn't know that. It's like when children start to become adults physically, they're like, what is happening? Like, you know, there's that moment of, I don't even understand any of this. I didn't sign up for this, you know, all of that. It's just that you're just finding another facet of yourself. And that just takes time to get used to and to, to learn to love. One of the things I want to talk about is American influence on popular culture. Since that is a huge portion of why people go for like American vowel choices because often that's where it comes from. That's where that style of music comes from. So people are tending towards that. Until there's a point where, you know, musicians, uh, singers, uh, vocalists, certain vocalists, vocalists who have, who just are sitting at the right place in society at the right time to say, oh, well, you've been hearing, um, well, there's rap that's, that's not based on the original rap music that came out of the US. There's, there are accents that occur in rap music that aren't associated with what originally came out of rap and hip hop to start with. If we want to hear more accents in songs, we have to try them and we have to figure out like, what's the strategic move? Like who gets to do that? If David Bowie were still with us, he gets carte blanche. He can do whatever he wants to. If he decided to change something up, we'd all be like, oh, well, that's a great idea because you're David Bowie mm -hmm. and he wouldn't get, get trounced for it. We know we have these subcultures in society and then we have sort of like cultures that mix together and become their own little societies. And each popular singer has a place in that world and has certain leverage or power to do things and other ones just, they just don't. It's just how society functions. As individuals, we don't have control over society, but we have to recognize that it's there and see where we are sitting right now to see what our cards are that we can play to, to navigate where we want to go. Back to the woman with the, with the throat singing, you know, she has, she managed to find three different cultures, three different little pieces of society that she could hook into, whether she did it on purpose or by happenstance, it doesn't really matter in the course of history it happened and so yeah. she, she hit. Last thing I, I would just love to say to you is this. I think it's important for everybody as we're getting trained in, in speaking or singing to recognize that there are some fantastic, wonderful people who will train us that won't have every answer accurate, um, especially at the university setting because universities tend to be about 25 to 40 years behind what common knowledge is. And that's a pretty bold statement to make, but it's also pretty accurate. Um, because if we look at how uh, people become college professors of the arts, they go to college of the arts. And so you, you learn to really respect the people who wrote the books that you read and you base what you're doing on that. And it takes a long time for that to change over to something new. Meanwhile, science just goes whoo and mm -hmm. goes right past. And so be aware as you train that training methods will change over time. Mm -hmm. In the accent world, we've had a huge change in how everything is done in the last decade because now everybody has a recording studio in their pocket. It used to be, was really difficult if we said, ah, oh, that actor needs to speak English, but with an accent from Madagascar. You'd say, great, I'm in Iowa. 
I don't know anybody in Madagascar. Um, let me look up some old movies maybe to find something. And so you're, it was based on something that wasn't real, you know, and now just go, wait a minute, let me just go to YouTube and look up um, the Madagascar kid and find the 17 year old in Madagascar who has a podcast, call him and interview his parents. And so you have that right there. And then we have live action MRIs. Are you using those in singing? Yes, yes. It's so fascinating between different vocal styles to see what is going on because of course that sort of stuff wasn't around until recently. Very recently. Uh, that rhotic R that appears in my accent and accents of many, many Americans mm -hmm. are very difficult to explain what's happening. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for a phonetician to explain what's happening. You say, well, your tongue is bracing on your molars in the back and you're bunching it mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're sending voiced air over it. And you're like, okay, eh, nope, <laughs> try again. <laughs> you know, even, even American children, we have a lot of children that end up going into speech therapy at school because they can't figure out how to make that awe. They're getting really close to the awe, but they can't, they can't get the awe um, because it, you can't see it. It's not visible, but now you can. I've taken, I've shown people who had a really, who come from a non-rhotic accent of English mm -hmm. uh, and had a really hard time figuring out how not to over articulate or get near that sound, but not so it sounds native. Mm -hmm. Show them an er on a scan. They go, oh, er, okay. That all makes sense. Yeah. It's been interesting actually working in the metal community recently because there's so much uh, new science about vocal distortions particularly which um, can be quite divisive as well because different people have different ideas because no one's still quite sure about everything yet it's fascinating to watch as it evolves anyway you're making me think about too the idea that you know most of us speak most of us speak not all of us speak but most of us speak so on the one hand because we're so familiar with it we think that it must be fairly simple mm -hmm. because we're not rocket scientists and brain surgeons, but we can all speak. And it's truly very complicated. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until maybe 20 years ago that they figured out that the vocal folds had specific kinds of cell layers in them. Mm. You yeah. know, that they were, they used to try to take a vocal note out by taking off a whole layer of the, the vocal mm -hmm. fold and then and then the person couldn't talk. <laughs> yeah. We're learning all the time and it's important to continue to embrace the new tools that are given to us and to let go of the old ones that no longer serve us. You know, the things that we used to think were, were, were accurate are now more accurate because we have more information. You know, that's the big thing I think for everybody, speakers and singers. You don't have to get mad at your training to say, well, why did you tell me that this happened? Well, that's because that's what they thought. <laughs> you know, that's where we were. And now we're in a different place. Now we're really seeing with better eyes all the time. Rawr. Big thanks to Pamela. Now, if you'd like to check out Pamela's work, she has an accent coaching company. I will put the links all in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us get these episodes out to more people. And if you'd like to support the podcast and get early access to episodes, do head over to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Beth Once again, massive thanks to Pamela for chatting to me, to my co-producer Tom, and of course, to you guys for listening. See you in the next one. Bye.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.